0: Welcome back to the Better, Faster, and Happier podcast. My name is Nancy A. and this is the podcast where we talk with like-minded individuals, expert thought leaders about what ways can we make organizations better, faster, and happier. On today's episode, we have Ben Clayton, who is an agile coach at Depop in London. So Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, of course Ken. Thanks for having me. I suppose... One key thing to get out about me is i probably come from a bit of an unorthodox way in to the industry. Uh, That being, I was a personal coach over at Virgin Active. I spent a lot of time doing one-to-one training sessions, coaching sessions, trying to help high-end executives understand the reason why they should take time out of their really busy days to focus on their health, which is quite challenging at times, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also really rewarding.
0: Um, yeah I can imagine
1: I got into the agile world via one of my clients actually at the time she told me she thought would be a really good scrum master <laughs> which I had no idea what it was uh, so she gave me her best explanation and I went away and did a lot of research and that led me to where I am today
0: awesome I think there's one thing that I've definitely noticed people who are drawn to either a subject or to involve working with the subject is that they take a very unconventional pathway to get there. And maybe that's part of the charm. But thank you very much for giving an introduction about yourself. So let's jump right into it. What comes to mind when I say better, faster, and happier organizations?
1: So I suppose for me, I would. what do you mean by happier would be my first question to you.
0: Uh, It's funny, you're the first person to actually throw that back at me. Happiness really boils down to engagement. How engaged are people? Do they turn up and do they show up to make things great and to build amazing products and services? And are they motivated? That's what happiness is to me. Okay,
1: so I suppose without wanting to derail the conversation, do you need to be happy to be engaged and motivated? I would say not. I would say there's been times in my life when I've been highly engaged in my work and motivated but not necessarily happy.
0: I think something's interesting is that I think happiness is an umbrella term that will mean many different things. For some people, simply just being engaged is enough of a a level of happiness at work. And for other people, they want to feel inspired and motivated and feel like they're surrounded by friends. But I think... What At least what the conversation allows is to understand what your employees and what your teams need to be engaged. And happiness is just a very simple way of saying that. It means a lot of different things depending on who you ask.
1: Okay. So I suppose for me, what it means to have a better, faster, happier uh, organization, it's going to be one where people feel heard. Mm. There's so many times I've been places I've worked in many different environments and different industries where the employees, the people in the engine room, don't feel like they're being heard or listened to. Or it can go even one step further than that, and so much so that they feel like the management are just listening to them just to kind of hear them out but actually don't take it on board. I uh, actually think mm. that does more damage than good. And I think actually you need to address the, the happiness part of that first. I think if you want to go faster and better, you need to have engaged people, right? If people, Mm. if you want to get faster and you want to get better, people tend to need to be more engaged. I don't think you can go faster and better without being more engaged.
0: That would
1: be interesting uh, to see if anyone's managed to go better and faster without getting more engaged employees.
0: And I guess maybe what it boils down to, or at least what you've just shared just now, is made planted a thought in my head is that maybe the topic of happiness and well-being is at the forefront of so many conversations um, because for a very long time we've made a, an extreme focus on becoming better and faster and happiness or at least engagement has always been something to come afterwards yeah. and there's almost like a, a lack of a deficiency in in teams around happiness because for a very long time you've just been focusing on making things either better or faster and Yes, we're gonna do Scrum so we can move faster, and it's like, yeah. So I, I get where you're coming from in terms of like, what is it that you prioritize first? So as a agile coach, I guess working with teams, the challenge I can imagine ha- happening is how do you escalate and how do you know where to start and what are the signs you look for with a team when it says when you say, mm, you know what. We should probably focus on this team's engagement and happiness, and then in other quarters, you might say we need to focus on being better or maybe even faster. What are the things you look out for?
1: I'm a big believer in people, 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 people. So, yeah. like, if you focus on the people, get people work functioning as a unit, as a team, cohesively, mm-hmm. then I think the rest kind of is a byproduct. So, like. How can you make a team go faster and better if if they're not a unit, if they're not, if they don't, if they're not, uh, what's the word, functioning well as a unit? So, I mean, Mm. working on team dynamics, if the people, I'm not saying they have to like each other, I'm not saying they have to be best friends, what I'm saying is they complement each other within the team, almost to the point that they have a little bit of a dependency on one another, which they know they can do so, right? They've got a shared goal Mm. to try and achieve. And I believe from that, the rest of it kind of emerges. So, whenever I start working with a team, in literally anywhere I ever have worked with anyone outside of Agile as well, is very much about right. Well, okay, this set of people, what's going on at the moment? Who's not mm-hmm. getting on? Who's winding you up? Who's not understanding the value that someone else adds? And it's I find I try and highlight the value that people add first, so that then. You can get a level of respect from one another so people Mm. come back to trust right trust and respect so so closely interconnected i suppose and i I do believe trust is king Mm. and it's the most important thing when doing anything in a with people (laughs) just end off Mm. if you fully trust someone be on your team or your boss then you you heard the you've obviously heard the saying context is king right I would argue trust is king, right? If you have unwaverable trust in someone, you don't care about the context because you know that person will be speaking or thinking or acting in the best possible way they can with the information that they've got at that time. Mm. Am I making sense?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely you are. And I guess everything you're saying to me is very much common sense and it like... I wish it was common sense in the terms that everyone does it, but I think where it gets lost in translation is how do I go about creating trust in a team? I, some people just wouldn't know where to start. Okay. You know it's important, but how do you go about so
1: where would I, actually where would I go? it and creating is, it? Is that what you're asking? Where would I start? Yeah. So there's, there's lots of language you can take, but two, I suppose, not easy, but the low-hanging fruit that I could go for is but right, to build trust, you need to be able to show a level of vulnerability. To trust someone, you're being vulnerable that they will act in a trusting manner, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about either you could show vulnerability and hope that the team mm-hmm. are trust, which I believe most people are trust, are, are trustworthy. Uh, no, I don't think. How hey, do you make someone trustworthy? You have to trust them, right? You, can, you yeah. can't do it any other way. You have to trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose the other way as well oh. is, is to like I said earlier, is highlight the the benefit of said thing or person. What does this Mm -hmm. person, what set of skills, what is the advantages of having this person on the team so that they can gain a level of respect? And I think if you start to respect someone and you can respect the work or their point of view or what they bring to the team in general, you can then start to trust that, they are acting with the best teams the team's best interests at heart, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, that completely makes sense. And I guess trusting someone completely makes sense. I remember a while back we were working with a team and they had a new hire. And the first question that was brought up in the retro before the new person joined was, what is the purpose of having this extra person? And I think at that moment, someone was basically wondering, you're adding someone new to this team dynamic. What value would they bring to the table? Which is a fair question. I think maybe what happens is when we're so busy trying to scale and grow squads is that we forget that you're dealing with humans. And when a new person is joining a team, the existing people, they want to understand what value that person is bringing. And maybe that could be part of a more onboarding. So it's not just onboarding someone to a company, but also onboarding them into like the relationships that they will be forming with team members. So what you're saying completely makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's tough, right? If people were easy, would everyone would have cracked this by now, right?
0: Absolutely. So speaking about people and kind of like looking at experiences, I'm really curious to find out about a recent success story Or a recent success experience that you've personally encountered when it came to either making a team better, faster, happier, or uh, kind of the organization as a whole? What initiatives have you worked on? What did you learn from that? Just before we get there, I'm just
1: sorry to deviate from where we're going, but just just an important thing around trust, which I always preach about, which I can't believe slipped my mind, to be honest. And it's about consistency. And by that, I mean Mm. act in a consistent way. If you are consistent, people know what to expect from you. If you act in a consistent way and behave very... I understand people have ups and downs, I'm not saying we're robots, but we can be consistent in the way that we are. Don't move where the line is. I find most people trust me because they know where they stand with me before I even open my mouth because they act in a consistent way. If you know if someone behaves, uh, uh, it's just easier to trust them because you know what they're doing. If someone acts in an inconsistent manner, you know, if you think about someone that you've worked with in the past, I'm not asking for names, but think about the people that you mm-hmm. haven't trusted. They've not, they've probably not acted in a consistent manner. And I think it's really, important. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really important. And a lot of people miss that one.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That completely makes sense. I'm currently reflecting on the people I've not trusted <laughs> yeah. in the past. And I think it's definitely been a combination of you've not been consistent and as a result of not being consistent i don't know what your intent is for me and i think your brain just acts in this like uh what fight flight or freeze. um freeze. Third one. yeah or or freeze and what basically happens is that if i can't assess what your intent is for me i might be at risk and i might be at danger and this natural human instinct just kicks in and says we're in danger." And that basically means the guards go up, you're unable to connect, you're unable to communicate, you're unable to collaborate. And that's where you start to see relationships deteriorate exactly. in a lot of teams. So I, I, yeah, spot on, absolutely spot on.
1: So what was the, the question we were trying to move to? Yeah, on? so
0: no, 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 no worries at all. I mean, ultimately, this is just a conversation, right? That's really how I want these uh, episodes to be structured, to feel like they're a conversation, to feel like, you're having a chat with fellow like-minded individuals who are exploring this really complex topic, as you uh, cleverly pointed out uh, um, earlier. So yeah, my next kind of focus area really is when it comes to like a recent initiative that you've kind of tried uh, to um, execute to make either teams better, faster, or happier, or the organization as a whole, what was it? What was the success from it? And what did you learn from that?
1: I took out from a team... From someone else who had been working with them a little while and they hadn't managed to deliver anything in five weeks, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was five weeks. I was working quite a high stakes project and as you can imagine, the product owner, the key stakeholders, people wider than the stakeholders were um, a little bit concerned Mm -hmm. and were asking all kinds of questions. No. I didn't, I suppose I'm avoiding the question a little bit here because I didn't actually do much of an initiative with the team per se, but I had a a number of conversations with people about just believing in the team, giving some trust, giving some space, let's remove a lot of process out of their way because there's a lot of process that they didn't need. The team felt was Mm -hmm. getting in their way, so we removed that and made it a bit more lightweight. The team then went from delivering to delivering multiple times a day. No, I wouldn't say personally it was anything to do with me. As in, I did something miracle for them. I just removed stuff that was already in their way, uh, like process that that been implemented for them, not with them.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that makes sense. But you mentioned something that kind of stuck to my mind is that making a process for them, not uh, giving a process to them and then saying like this is this is what you're going to do. I think what I've often seen is, unfortunately when it comes to rolling out any of the methodologies around agile with a team very quickly it's just copy paste here you go crack on with it and then 6 months later we're trying to fit the like fix the puzzle or answer the questions why isn't it working so how did you go about having mm-hmm. those conversations because i think that's something that's difficult to have as well how did you go about having conversations with stakeholders around Removing impediments for these teams so that they could start having a process that works for them, not against them? Um,
1: Quite honestly, just very directly, (laughs) just grabbing them, getting them in a room
0: and explaining
1: X is in the way of Y. If you want me to get to Z, I need to remove it. And luckily, you know, luckily, because it was a very clear benefit, it was pretty easy sell. It didn't have to do much of a sell. I think also, again, I always act in a consistent manner and because I do so, I tend to always try to call out honestly what is for the best. So I believe by being that mm-hmm. way, that the stakeholders tend to go, well, actually, Ben acts in this way that tends to be for the betterment of the company or the team. It's not in any other way. So he's at least trying to improve things, which just gets people on site.
0: I think sometimes it's hard, though, to just bring someone into a room and tell
1: them. I mean, I suppose.
0: This is in I, the way.
1: Again, I, again, I think maybe that's my strength is because I come from such an unorthodox background. So, you know, personal trainer mm-hmm. before that I used to be a, like a foreman on uh, building sites doing flat roofs. So I'm, I'm used to dealing yeah. with, what's the word I'm after? More boisterous characters, maybe. Whereas yeah. I find in the technology environment that I'm in, it's, it's more, what's the word? I'm very conscious. I have to be very conscious not to be too big of a personality. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, completely. Big, it does.
1: Um, knowing your audience, right? It's like, because I mm-hmm. suppose because I'm used to very boisterous characters. I'm going to use the word boisterous. I hope it works.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It doesn't feel hard for me to go and grab them. Look, like, I suppose also it's an important thing to note. When I was a PT, I mainly trained... People of that level. So I'm used to having conversations with those types of people.
0: Right. You know, when I think about it,
1: a lot of my clients were senior members of staff. So having a conversation with them, you know, I used to do that for 10, 12 hours a day on a one to one basis, which is, I suppose, it's only going to benefit me in the long term.
0: That's a great skill to have,
1: though. (laughs) I think it is. It just happens to fit. My job that i do now right so not all pts are lucky enough to work with the type of clientele that i was lucky enough to work with so i suppose maybe that yeah. wouldn't have been an advantage if it wasn't for the types of people i was training does that make sense mm-hmm. i think being a pt yeah. was an advantage because of the types of com- you know I've had to have, you have to have difficult conversations with your clients about their eating habits, their exercise habits, telling them that it's not good enough. So these are all conversations that are probably, I mean, I managed to just realized in this one I'm talking to you now, um, which are actually quite yeah, relative to what I do now, you know. And in fact, it's less personal, isn't it? We're talking mm. about behaviors within the business or processes. We're not talking about what they're doing personally. When you're telling someone that they're eating too much personally, you know, that's quite personal. When you've got to talk to someone about their body fat percentage that's personal it's a lot harder to navigate mm. than telling someone that the way that we do release is awful like what is that in comparison to telling someone they've gained too much body fat and they're not they're eating too much cheese on a night yeah do you know what I mean it's not
0: I guess if you're comparing it to that then in the grand scheme of things that maybe these conversations might not be as hard but there's one thing I do have <laughs> noticed is that When you have a conversation with someone about their body fat, or you have a conversation about, let's say you're looking at their weight drop or anything of that nature, there tends to be data involved and you can point to things and have conversations. Unfortunately, that's not always the case when it comes to trying to solve these more systemic behavioral challenges Mm -hmm. uh, that are found within organizations. So are there methods that you use to try and get data so that those conversations have a bit more meat to the bone rather than it just being a conversation built on theory. Yeah,
1: I mean, we've uh, used one of the, you know, the Spotify health checks. We've used those before, uh, take on those, mm-hmm. taken their idea, implemented it it's slightly different to show the mood and the trend in the team. Helps to show when they make certain decisions. So, for instance, I have been on teams where uh, stakeholders have almost enforced the team to go along and deliver a shopping list and via the health check, it at least shows a dip in motivation, decision-making, learning, you know, all this stuff that we talk about, fun, respect. You see a dip in all this stuff, so it enables me to at least go and say, look, when you come and force the team to do stuff, I can show you that it has a downward effect on these areas. Mm
0: -hmm. Maybe we should just get better at being able to, like, present the data around this because i got someone in my life in my personal life who is also a personal trainer and i find it quite remarkable how he's able to have these as you highlighted really difficult and personal yeah. conversations but what i really did notice is that he's bringing date like data is always at the forefront when it comes to delivering messages that might be difficult for people to hear and he's using the data to tell a story.
1: Yeah, but I, do you know what I also think, definitely using the data, I mean, are absolutely key, but actually I think one thing that just popped in my mind as well, is it Kim Scott, right? Radical candor? Do yeah. You think, well, let's, <laughs> yes. let's think about that. Let's think about the relationship between a PT and, and their clients. So you care deeply about mm. this person, right? And that's fair to say you have a yeah. relationship, you've spent time building a relationship, right? You don't just pull someone up on the first session and tell them, look, you're 20% over the body fat that you should be. Like, you just don't do that, right? That person clearly knows they have mm. it, they have something they're trying to work on, but obviously, they wouldn't be employing you as a PT, right? So, let, let's not teach them to suck eggs, yeah. but we can take the time to invest in them. So, we invested in them. We've showed them that we care deeply and we've built a relationship with them. And I think, it's, is it the where she has? In the more examples you've got of showing that you care deeply, the more radically candid the feedback can be, right? So you have a deep connection with this person. You've, you've invested time into them. You can, Because of that, it allows you to be extremely candid. So therefore, that, maybe yeah. the answer is actually, maybe, I could be wrong, Is spending more time with these uh, people who we may have to have difficult conversations with. Who would believe it may be actually just spending more time with people and connecting with them?
0: Mm, Yeah, and actually (laughs) like talking to one another and engaging. It's like, oh, whoa, I have to actually like articulate some words to you and, and have a dialogue and it's not a monologue. Wow, that's weird. But I'm baffled because what you say completely makes sense. But I'm also curious about. Like just learning from maybe some of your failures when it comes to trying to make things better, faster, and happier. What are some of your failures that you've experienced? Some of my failures.
1: Ooh. I think one of my failures in a way is caring too much. (laughs) That sounds really weird. Mm -hmm. And I still can't beat it. I'm trying to. I find some, actually no, I'm like a lot of the time, um, I care too much and that claims my doesn't claim my judgement, it gets me heated and frustrated and sad and stressed and down and that mm. then gets in the way of other stuff and actually if I could somehow care a bit less, I would take it less personally, which would then make it easier mm. for me to navigate some difficult stuff. That's me personally. Something that I've tried to introduce, I suppose, at team level would. So I suppose ah that's, I did fail. So I tried to move one of my teams over. I tried to actually relocate the team <laughs> to try and get them around some other teams. And it yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> they just, I just tried to do it without even speaking to them, which is the first error. Always bring people on the journey, right? Speak to them. And yeah. just wasn't willing to move, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. That just, all what I learned from that was just reinforce what I've always said and always believed is don't try and force people down a route, try and bring them on the journey. Because if you try and force people, they just they just dig the hills in and don't want to know, right? If someone tells me I'm going to do something, I'm likely not going to do it. So it's about getting them involved.
0: That, so I I'll share something about my personal life. I have a younger brother yep. who's seven years old and it's not that I do social experiments <laughs> on him, yeah. but- I do, because I'm curious about whether or not are adults really that different from kids. And I've noticed when I ask him to do something, he always comes back with the same question, mm-hmm. which is why. And if a seven-year-old will ask why before he does something, sure, or behold, a fully-fledged grown-up man or woman will ask why. And I think an- the answer you give to them as a response is taking them on the journey. And if they don't connect with that why, then they won't do it. At least that's my experience well, actually, with a seven-year-old.
1: God, that feeds nicely to uh, maybe, yeah, definitely someone around agile, right? And, and making things fun. Uh, I've got a child myself who's seven. And if I ask him to do something, I, he'll probably say, no. If I make it a again, <laughs> oh, yeah. if I say to him, can you do this? He'll say, no. But if I say, I'll time ya, you. You've put a time box on it. Whoo, <laughs> oh my! He will run. He will do it as fast as he can, and he'll do it with a smile. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah. don't <laughs> no, ever need a leaderboard. Do you find that something similar with adults?
0: Yeah, because here's the thing, right? I think what happens when we enter the work space, and maybe twenty, thirty years ago, when you had management two dot zero, and everyone was very much driven around extrinsic motivators. Short-term thinking was all about kind of hacking the game, created a lot of toxic behaviors that doesn't cut it anymore. And now all of a sudden we are in the realm of technology, building all these complex stuff that we don't really see in terms of like being able to touch it and it involves creativity. And I think creativity and fun are like brothers and sisters. Uh, They are tightly coupled. They're yin and yang. So the old way of working and how we thought back then, which was very much around management 2.0, doesn't fit, the operating system does not fit what it is we're building today. In today's world, we really need to be innovative. Otherwise, if you're not pleasing your customer, someone else will. So you have to make it fun. I think that's what I love about Agile. It makes it fun. Retrospective with Post-it notes, I remember this was uh, probably a year or two into one of my coaching gigs and there was one team that i just got introduced to and the first question i got asked was will you bring post-it notes (laughs) and i was like yeah i've got my magic treasure of post-it notes and sharpies which i do have and i presented it and the excitement on their face as if i just gave them (laughs) a million pounds I will never erase that out of my memory because they were so excited about different colors and putting it on the wall because it was just a moment of doing something different, putting their thoughts in a different format and doing it in a very interactive way. So I don't think we're any different to kids. And I think there's a lot of learnings we can take from teachers on how they teach new information to kids because I think a very similar thing can be done when it comes to introducing new ways of working or changing mindsets when it comes to trying to make things better and faster <laughs> and happier.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's just something about when something's physical, right? When you're touching and doing it and moving and swapping places with people and it's just something that energizes about that, right? When you're energized, you, you just think of a slightly yeah. different wavelength to you do when you're just sitting there bored at your brain, losing the world to live.
0: Absolutely. And I guess also something out of curiosity. So as someone who comes from a, the unconventional background of being a personal trainer, what's a crazy idea that you would love to do with a team that combines your life? <laughs> well,
1: obviously, you've seen things? people do the plank stand-up, right? Well, actually, I, I would like to yeah. take you one step forward and do a, a wall sit stand-up. Do you know what a wall sit is? Yeah, so yeah, the idea yeah, is you sit yeah, just yeah, for people who don't know. You sit with your back against the wall with your legs at a 90 degree angle, so they're parallel with the floor, uh, feet directly under your knee and hold that position. I think it would make, it be interesting. Uh, it's quite hard and I think it would make the stand up extremely fast.
0: I'm always curious about what tools or books people are reading or what tools they're using yep. that they absolutely love. So yeah, if you could share with us what it is you're loving, either okay, a book so or I'm tool. Okay, so I'm currently
1: reading The Trillion Dollar Coach, that's about a guy called Bill Campbell, who he's given the recognition of being responsible for the successes of companies like Apple and Google. It's a really interesting book. I find it interesting because I find myself just going, "This is this is just how I work." People don't yeah. think like this. This is outrageous. Another book that I really liked reading before that was, I read it for the second time actually called Sprint by Jake McNabb. I've had design sprints. I really like the idea. Of getting the team focused around providing providing an early prototype to prove if it has any value or not within a week. I think that is just invaluable.
0: Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. That
1: was a really cool book. They're the two that I've read. One I'm reading and one that I've read recently, Again,
0: Lovely. Well, thank you very much for being uh, a guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the conversations that we had. Um, I surely did.
1: I have a joke, that uh, an agile joke that I created myself. Yeah. And I thought I'd share it with you.
0: Please what share. is the
1: perfect breed of dog for a posh scrum master? A Sharp Pei.
0: Oh, that is so funny.
1: <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad, but I love it.
0: Oh. oh. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. On that, on that very much on that note, uh, thank you. And to our listeners, Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. I definitely learned a lot from Clayton, especially from his background. And it just comes to show that when it comes to trying out or experimenting with different ways of working or looking for influences that we can learn from to help environments become better, faster, and happier, there is no limit. And it's not just tech. Inspiration is everywhere around us. For those who are new, please join the family subscribe uh we're on itunes and we are on spotify uh for those who've come back thank you again and i hope that you stick around because we've got many more episodes to come in the future so see you later